It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Kruger, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine conspiracies, UFO sightings, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. Special this week, we have a brand new agent joining us, Agent Kruger. Say hello, Agent Kruger. Hey, what's up? How you doing? All right, welcome to the show. Before we get started here, it's time for Strange Events, Bizarre Facts, The Unbelievable Revealed. This is the Mind Boggle of the Week. All right, this time around, what I want to do is I'm going to read a quote, and I want you guys to try and guess when this quote is from. But like, just pick a decade okay. or whatever. See if you can get within 10 years or something. Okay, here's the quote. In space, there are countless constellations, suns, and planets. We see only the suns because they give light. The planets remain invisible, for they are small and dark. There are also numberless Earths circling around their suns, no worse and no less than this globe of ours, for no reasonable mind can assume that heavenly bodies that may be far more magnificent than ours would not bear upon them creatures similar or even superior to those upon our human Earth. Alright guys, obviously this is a historical quote, but if you had to guess, when do you think that's from? Uh, Asian Kruger, you go first. Oh, man. Uh, you said when or who? Who is it by? Hey, either when? way. Oh, yeah. I would say maybe... Uh, I don't know. It's hard. That's a hard one. Uh, I, uh, maybe go with... is I'm going to go with an author. C.S. Lewis, maybe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that oh, out there. Good guess. Okay. I like, All right. I like to guess. I'm going to guess... Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to guess Giardo Bruno, 1584. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> or Giardano? How the hell? All right, whatever. I know Bruno. Bruno. Yeah, Giardo Bruno. <laughs> Giardo Bruno, yeah. yeah. Well, I heard this actually. I heard this quote on another show <laughs> that I listened to. <laughs> on another show I listened to. Um, uh, it's a UFO podcast or something. I forget what it's called, but the host is... The famous, uh, well, famous in the world of ufology, um, Alejandro Rojas is a journalist type dude, been doing this forever. Um, and he read this on his show and I was actually really surprised to hear that this quote was from 1584 because back then they still thought that like the earth was the center of the universe, but this guy was sort of forward thinking and he was influenced perhaps by other people, maybe from the middle East. But um, it turns out he was executed in 1600 because of heresy. And he did a lot of different stuff to kind of piss off the Roman Inquisition. But insisting that Earth was not, not only was Earth not the center of the universe, but there were lots of other planets out there with life on it. Um, that kind of got him killed. But I just thought that this was a really interesting quote from so long ago. So I figured I'd put it on the show. So props to Alejandro Rojas. Uh, for uh, providing me with this quote, which I was unaware of before I listened to his show. And uh, yeah, now actually, and, yeah. yeah. I, I saying, and by the way, I, I didn't know that off the top of my head. I typed that into Google while you were saying it. <laughs> yeah, I, fi I, I figured. It's pretty, it's pretty obscure. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I, got the, I got the Google machine right in front of me. I'll just go ahead and use it. <laughs> I have all the power yeah. at my fingertips. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, it's called Open Minds UFO Radio is the name of his podcast. It's a really good podcast uh, compared to ours. Um, he's much more knowledgeable and uh, he has, you know, guests. Like he's probably actually had Travis Walton on his show before kind of a thing. Like he's one of the bigger names, whereas we're just kind of like a little podunk, you know, just kind of hanging out, tossing back beers and whatever. So he's bullshitting. His is a little little more uh, straight-laced than ours as well, so it just depends on what you're looking for. If you want to hear a bunch of idiots talking about UFOs drunkenly, then uh, this is the show for you, I guess. <laughs> hey. Now, yeah, so let's Agent, get to the... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I say, except for Agent Kruger, he's one of those goddamn millennials. He can't buy alcohol yet. 
<laughs> no, no, I, I, I can buy it. Don't worry. Uh, I'm 28. Don't worry. <laughs> well, yeah, we every anybody younger than us now, we just call them millennials. It doesn't matter how old you are. Oh, that it is fitting. Okay, I'll, I won't. No argument here yet. I, I gotta admit, I definitely do not understand like the uh, the current uh, succession of uh, generations because. I, I thought I remember when I was a kid, uh, I'm sure I'm dating myself. I thought I m- remember being called Generation X, but now I, I am to un- be understood that uh, I'm, I'm technically a millennial, I guess. But I, I refuse you? to accept that. Uh-huh. 83. Welcome to the club, dude. No. Hey, yeah. No. I'm going to send you a jacket. I'm going to send you, I'm going to get you a tote. I'm going to get no. you a hipster glasses. No. I'm going to get you a thermos. It's going to be wait. great. You get, can you give me a, a, a Pendleton uh, flannel? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Just need sizes. Just need dimensions. I'm going to have to uh, grow myself a uh, sturdy mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Go with one of those good old handlebars. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, or, shops. or a little cur- a, a little curl cue going on there. I like the you know the, the old school like uh, barber type uh, curl mustache. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those are nice. Well, hey, let's let's get to this. Uh, what the podcast is uh, supposed to be about today here. Some, some Travis oh, yeah. Walton action. <laughs> the man's hair who's never changed a single ha- like color. It's never going to turn gray, I swear. That is true. I am a little bit uh, jelly of his uh, his hair because I'm I'm going well and bald and gray myself already. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm on the way. And what happens to the best of us, but yes. Anyways, yes, the, the, the man does have a full head of hair. But the event in question happened in... Uh, 1975, November 5th, 1975, in uh, Snowflake, Arizona. It was not exactly in Snowflake. It was about 10 miles south of Herber, and it was east of Phoenix. It was in the Snowflake area. It was like in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. It was sno- uh, that was the closest town, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But th- this uh, this story is a very famous story. I mean, shit, the, the, the movie Fire in the Sky was based on um, the book that Travis Walton uh, wrote, Correct. Correct. And that movie scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Very scary. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. that one making quite the impact on my me as well, for sure. It was, a, it was pretty well made, I think. Too well made, if you ask me. Well, it's been described as one of one of the better accounts of a abduction story, uh, uh, you know, within a movie, right? Yeah, they did spice it up quite a lot, though. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's Hollywood, right? That's, I, I think that's kind of to be expected. All right, so let's but get I mean, to it, it. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Agent Kruger. <laughs> Sorry, I, uh, late, late add-in. It's just if there was anything to do, if that movie had any relation to Luke's story, that would that is mind-boggling at the least. So, and there's a lot of calls for it to be remade. So it'd be interesting to see mm. who would get to play who and how scarier or less scarier it would be. You know, with the new remake. Well, it'd probably be an all-female cast. Yeah, yeah. I was. <laughs> I was just gonna say, my money is on Melissa McCarthy to play Travis Walton. I think you're right. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good call right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so did, I think we said it happened on November fifth, nineteen seventy-five. I think you said that correct already. Mm-hmm. Where were mm-hmm. we? <laughs> okay, yeah, just at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were, there was a group of seven people out in the forest. There was a contractor that was a friend of Travis Walton. His name was Mike Rogers, and they had been hired to thin out a bunch of scrub brush in the area. Um, at the time, I have that Travis Walton at that time was 22 years old, and the forest that they were in is the Apache Sitgraves National Forest. Is that correct, mm-hmm. I think? Yep. Yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure how to pronounce that until until I heard it uh, pronunciated on a uh, documentary. Pr- pronounced? Did, did pronounced? It, whatever. Shut up. Was I close? Uh, I would yeah. say you're close. All right. Yeah. Let's go to eight out of ten. Success. Okay. So after they were done working for the day, about six fifteen p.m., they were driving home in a truck. And they saw a bright light behind a hill that they were approaching. And as they drove closer, they saw a disc-shaped object hovering about 100 feet away. And it was making a high-pitched buzzing sound. Uh, that They stopped the truck to kind of look at it. And what they saw was a brilliant, white, solid, metallic, saucer-shaped object. 
and it was approximately 15 feet in diameter and 8 feet thick, and it was hovering 20 feet off of the ground. And here's what happened next. This is an account from Travis Walton from an interview in November of 1975. So this is pretty close after the account. And I like to get witness statements as close to the event as possible so that they haven't had 20 years to kind of forget stuff. But anyways, here's what he said. We just finished working because it was getting dark. We packed up to leave and we all got in the truck and we were riding up the road. And we looked off to the right side of the road and I saw a glow that I thought was a sunset or something. I was about to comment when we came past the thicket that we were looking through to where we could see more clearly, and we saw a UFO hovering in the air about 30 yards off to the side of the road. Everybody started yelling, and they stopped the truck. I wanted to get a closer look, and I got out of the truck, and I started over there. Everybody was yelling to come back, to stop. I stopped to look back. Somebody called my name, and I turned back around, and it started to make a noise and started to move, and I took one step, I crouched down behind a log that was there, and just as I started to raise up, I was just going closer. Oh, wait, no, I was just going to stand up. Uh, edit! Just as I started to raise up, I was going to stand up. I didn't have any intention of going any closer, but it was just as if I was struck. It was kind of a physical blow. It just knocked me back. I don't remember seeing any flash of light or anything like what they described. I just lost consciousness. When I regained consciousness, I was looking up at a light shining down on me from the ceiling. I could tell I was lying up on a bed or a table or something because the ceiling was close. I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't quite bring myself totally awake. So that's his account of what happened. The other six men witnessed him being struck by a flash of light, by blue light, and it was like a beam about 20 inches wide. They saw him lifted from the ground with his arms and legs outstretched, and he flew back 10 feet through the air. After this happened and he was on the ground, they panicked and drove away real quick in their truck. They got about a quarter mile down the road and the truck ran off the road. And then at that point, um, the the guy who was the contractor, who was a, in charge of the whole thing, who was, uh, what was his name again? Uh, Mike Rogers. Mike Rogers. Yeah. He decided to turn the truck around. He was the one driving because I guess the, after that, the, the panic maybe cleared a little bit and he said, oh, wait, hold on. We got to go back and look for him. So they drove back and they looked for him in the area about 30 minutes, but they didn't find anything. After this, they drove to the police, and Rogers thought that Walton was actually dead. The police came back and searched the area, but they didn't find anything. At this point, the police started to think that maybe it was a hoax or some sort of, I don't know, something to cover up like a murder or something. Something weird was going on, but the police didn't really believe that it had anything to do with a UFO. Um, over the next few days... The police interrogated the six men repeatedly and gave them lie detector tests, which I, um, I'm not going to belabor the point over and over again, but I want to go on the record now as saying that I think uh, personally lie detector tests are not reliable and should not be relied on as actual evidence. They're pretty much bullshit. Even the guy who invented the, uh, the, the guy who invented the lie detector test even came out and said, Hey, this is bullshit. You guys probably shouldn't use this for what you're using it for. So take it with a grain of salt, in my opinion. But anyways, of the six, one of them was inconclusive and the other five passed the polygraph tests. So that's what happened while Walton was away. But he was away for five days. And after the event, he woke up in the middle of the road, just sort of lying there. And he saw this flying saucer hovering over him. And he saw it kind of shoot off into the distance and disappear without making any sound whatsoever. And of the five days, he only remembered about an hour of what had happened. And when he got back to civilization, he was shocked to find out that he'd actually been gone for five days. Here's what he reports saying, or saying, seeing, here's what he reports happening during his missing time. Um, like he said in his previous statement, he was on a table when he woke up. 
he saw three short, bald creatures in the room with him, looking over him, and they were wearing like orange-brown clothing. And the descriptions fit pretty well the typical gray alien. He said they had large brown eyes. Uh, he struck two of them when after he had woken up, and he sent them flying across the room. He grabbed a nearby glass cylinder of some kind, and he made threatening motions toward the creatures with it. The creatures backed out of the room and left him alone by himself in there. He got out of the room and went down a hallway into an empty domed room that had a chair in its center. The chair had sort of levers and controls and buttons and things on it. He sat in the chair, and when he did so, he saw stars appear around him, sort of like in a planetarium. And he pushed a lever on the chair, and the stars began to rotate. He got out of the chair, and at this time, a human-looking man came through the door. He looked normal, except for very large eyes. He was wearing a blue jumpsuit and, like, a clear glass helmet. Walton asked him questions, but the man only grinned and made beckoning motions to kind of follow him. In his own words, So we went out through the door, down to the right, and out to the left. There was a small room there. It had doors on it, and it was kind of like an airlock. It was just a small room with nothing in it, and then there was a door that went outside, and it was a ramp that went down, and it was cool outside. I could feel wind. There was a draft or something. It was a large room that this thing was sitting on the floor in there, and it was shaped like a drawing that they made, like the thing we saw the first time, only bigger. And there were two other things in there, other UFO, to look like flying saucers, kind of, except that they were rounded and oval-shaped, and they were really shiny like chrome. It was a big room, like there was a lot more room in there, and there was a curved ceiling. It curved this way, and it had flat ends to the room. I came out of the door, out of that first ship, facing this way, and there was a doorway across in the far wall. He led me across there and through that doorway down a hallway to a room, and I'd had a burning in my chest, and it was starting. I felt better. I was trying to get this man to tell me what, you know, I asked him if he was from Earth and just anything I could think of, and he wouldn't answer. I was led down the hallway. The man sat me in a chair and in a room with three other people that were like himself. They were dressed in blue, and he went out. There was a door on the other side he went on through, and I sat in the chair and I tried to get the people to talk to me that were there, and they didn't have things on their head, and so I thought that maybe they could hear me, but they wouldn't answer either. There were two men and a woman in the room after the first man left. A man and a woman came from around the table, and they each took me by the arm and they led me over to the table and got me up on the table, and finally I don't know why I should cooperate with them. They put a deal over my face. It was kind of like an oxygen mask thing. It was kind of clear, plastic, and it had a round black thing on it about that big, just attached to it. I looked up at the ceiling, which was just all solid light. There wasn't any light fixture or anything, but light in the room, just coming from the ceiling, and that was the last I remembered. I went to sleep, until I woke up. I was lying on the pavement. It was very cold. I woke up very suddenly, and I looked up the roadway. I was lying outside, it was night, and I could see a light on the bottom of a flying saucer that looked just like the rounded ones that were inside there, and it was very shiny, but the only light came out of the bottom, and that went off, and it went straight up just really fast, just without a sound. And for anybody interested, you can definitely find a lot of interviews by Travis Walton online on YouTube or whatever if you look for them. So if you want to check out some more stuff that he said about this, um, there's plenty out there. So after yeah, that, he staggered. Open. Yeah. So after that, he staggered to a payphone booth at a gas station and called his brother-in-law. And the rest is history. Uh, he was awarded five thousand dollars from National Enquirer for the best UFO story of the year. Uh, he passed two polygraph tests immediately after. He failed one, but that one was sort of covered up and then leaked out and, you know, whatever. Um, and his co-workers, you know, as I said previously, they also 
past tests about seeing the UFO. And that kind of makes this a unique story because I'm not aware of any other abduction story where you have so many corroborating witnesses that basically saw it happen. I mean, they didn't see him get sucked into the ship, but they saw him get knocked out by the ship before they ran, which is uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, well, and they all have the same story too. Yeah. Later on, he did go through um, uh, regression hypnosis, but he was unable to recover any more details of what happened to him during the five days that he was gone. And everybody has stuck to their stories. The All seven people, nobody's come out after the fact and uh, said that they lied or anything like that. And it's been a long time since 1975. Um, and then the last thing that happened in the case is in the early 2000s, somebody went and took a soil sample in the area and they found that iron had been concentrated towards the top of the soil as if maybe the ship had some sort of really powerful electromagnetic engine. But if you look into that little bit, it's pretty inconclusive and kind of fishy, so I don't put too much stock into it. So that's the Travis Walton story in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Well said, yeah. sir. Well said. Oh, I thank you. To touch on to that, that soil, uh, you know, the, when they experimented the soil and whatnot or tested the soil, uh, I didn't know about that that little bit, but I did see that the trees when they were noticing the growth patterns uh, seemed to go into one direction would be in towards the center of where the ship would have been. Now that right there kind of, that trips me out, but I'm not sure what would be able to manipulate tree growth really. I mean, how, how could you like, you know, I'm sorry to babble on here, but like, how could you manipulate it if you wanted to, you know, I, I would have no idea. I don't know nothing about the subject really as far as, you know, uh, is a, uh, I forget what the, uh, the term for studying plants is, but, um, I mean, if that is, you know, the, the truth and that, that is definitely, you know, something that you can't necessarily just, uh, skim over, it's something that should be investigated, you know, I mean, me, me personally, when I'm, I'm trying to go over in my own mind and decide, you know, is this a, an event that likely happened or is it, you know, possibly a hoax or something like that? Um, what I kind of keep on going over is some of the seemingly natural ways that these individuals reacted to the, you know, the situation that was, uh, right in front of them, you know, um, it, and also how consistent their stories have been, you know, like I put myself in, uh, you know, the, the driver's, the driver's seat as Mike Rogers, you know, and, um, shit, if I was in the, in a driver's seat of any vehicle and I saw something like that, uh, I don't know how I would react. I, I, I might take the hell off as well. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that that's a, uh, an odd thing at all to do. And it does sound like they stopped, you know, like you said, a quarter, a quarter of a mile down the road. Um, I, I've heard uh, Mike Rogers say in interviews that, you know, like, it sounds like they, they kind of like got out for a second, uh, you know, talked about it and decided to go back, you know, to, to look for him. And um, obviously they didn't find him because he had already been taken at that point, presumably, you know, and, and um if the story is to be believed, you know, and, uh, you know, so I, I think that's a reasonable thing to do as well. You know, if you reacted in haste and, and took off, got a little bit down the road, it would be very natural. I think to stop and be like, wait a minute, we, we got to go back for him. You know, I mean, that makes sense to me, especially it's, it's a crew that have been working close together, you know, in hard conditions that, that creates a certain bond. Right. So they're, they're not going to leave that guy behind. So that makes perfect sense to me. Um, you know, the, within the story, for for me, there's one part that kind of makes me pause and and, and think a little bit and, and discredits it maybe a little bit in my opinion because uh, but it's just my my opinion on on the situation. So when he said he was able to get up, you know, and basically you know uh, attempt to fight these these aliens, right? Um, that that's kind of that's not something you really ever hear in in most credible stories, I think. You know, usually you always hear about somebody being like locked down to a table and not being able to move. They can feel pain and everything, but they can't move. You know what I mean? That's the most common scenario I've heard. So, yeah. you know, and that, that's, uh, to me, that's, that's kind of one of those things like when I heard that, I remember originally, it's like, eh, that, 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 it, it doesn't sound realistic to me. You know what I mean? Uh, I was just saying, yeah, no, that I can, I can get behind that. But at the same time, that's like the best thing. Best case scenario 
for an abductee, right? Is to seize the opportunity to try to like break free and get out of there. So yeah. your mind kind of jumps to this like, oh, that that's different. And I maybe you would fill in the need to say, well, maybe this is a little bit more credible than the other ones just because this guy fought back because that's what i would have done you know on the normal oh you'd uh, want to right you'd, you'd well you'd, right. hope, you'd hope you you'd have the, i don't know i mean shit i might just be scared so bad i'd be locked in place just by you know you know just be, because i'm scared that happens it. that happens that sure. happens i mean it always goes it, i i mean to not to interrupt but i mean i've had experiences where i've had friends in a place of danger and where once in upon a time I've said, yeah, I would sprint to save you guys. All of a sudden I was given this fear and I'm locked oh. down, if you will. Like I, I just couldn't react. And thank God nothing serious happened in the end. But still, there was that moment where I froze. Yeah. It's, have, have, it you, really, uh, have you ever had a fear boner? <laughs> no, I don't think I have. No? I, I hope I won't because it'll come in the wrong time. <laughs> That's the worst literally. kind of boner. <laughs> It's never at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was only one time in wrestling, all right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, nope. Yeah. <laughs> just it it dep depends on how tight your pants are and how big your log is, it, it, how much of an inconvenience it's going to be. It might stop yeah, you from yeah. running under the right circumstances. You might be stuck there. Yeah, that's true. If, if it stops you from running, God bless you. You know, you're, yeah. you're a specimen. <laughs> Good for you, sir. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I mean, like the, uh, you know, the, the, the whole story is, is in my opinion, pretty solid. Like, like I said, there, there was that one part that kind of uh, makes me question it a little bit. But the, the, the consistency that all of these individuals have had throughout the years. And, and also, uh, Travis Walton, he, he's been very active within the ufo community oh, yeah. uh, throughout his yeah. whole life you know and, open and book really yeah yeah the, the guy seems to be uh i mean if it's made up he, he's he's put quite a bit of effort into you know being consistent you know it, it's a i i guess it would be pretty impressive you know there would I mean? be more inconsistencies i feel like there would be definitely some at some point in time somebody would come forward because what's the point of hiding anymore, yeah. you know? Uh, you'd probably get bad publicity, good publicity. It doesn't matter. It's pub yeah. publicity in the end. So well, I think somebody would have seized their opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, all of these guys, the experiences have talked to, uh, about, like, the negative uh, repercussions that they had, you know, afterwards. Because, you know, everybody would basically – after he showed back up and, and they knew, okay, well, they didn't kill him, you know, because that was obviously one of the big concerns initially because this crazy story these guys were, were you know, telling, you know, nobody's going to believe that, obviously. If, if I was a law enforcement officer receiving this story, I, I got to be honest, I probably wouldn't believe it either. I would I would also, especially, you know, within the culture of, of you know, back in those days in 1975, they assumed, well, these guys are – Quite possibly some some dirty hippies getting high up mm -hmm. in the mountains up there, you know. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they were either drunk or high. That was one of the first uh, things that the um, uh, what, what was the officer's name? Um, the uh, they, oh. they had first contact with, or did they? Uh, I want to say Davis? it was Officer Hightower, but I don't think that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyways, I, I remember uh, in a, uh, seeing uh, him in an interview saying that he purposefully got close to them right away just to see if he could smell like weed or alcohol on them. And he said that he didn't. And he, he said that many times in interviews that he did not, you know. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, they, they, that, you know, probably isn't a, a good excuse for what happened. You know what I mean? So I, I, know, I know that a lot of people, uh, well, back in those days especially, but that's one of the uh, the things, you know, that skeptics will say is, no, nah, they're they're all doped up or some. Maybe they're on LSD or something. You know what I mean? And they 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 imagined all of it. And uh, Travis Walton really just got lost in the forest. Really, is that's what the easy. That's the easy way out, though, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's a simple thing. I think I believe. Uh, by the way, it was uh, Marlon Galipsy, right? Or if I could, I the sheriff that was taking the story. I could be wrong. I think, but might be right. I'm gonna I look it up real quick. I forget. I I got I have the uh, the memory span of a uh, goldfish. Uh, I'll have you beat. <laughs> so, are there any other like uh, skeptical theories that you've heard to uh, try to disprove this case? Oh yeah, all kinds of them. 
But so the most plausible skeptical explanation, as far as I'm aware, is that uh, they were really behind in their work. They were contracted to finish clearing out that brush by a certain period, by a certain date. And um, that's Mike Rogers, remember, was the one contracting that. And they were so far behind, they had no hope of finishing. So to get out of that, um, they concocted a UFO story and uh, they made Travis camp in the woods for five days and that got him out of their contract, <laughs> I guess. That's yeah. the most hey plausible guys. story. Hey guys, we What's fucked up? on this contract, but I got an idea. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just hear me out. <laughs> a bit crazy. I could just a imagine, right? Yeah. I, I, I could just imagine. It's, yeah, and then everybody, all, all seven of them, yeah. You know what? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. That Let's could that. work. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's, in my opinion, that's just a bit ridiculous. Yeah. You know? I think uh, it's more likely that they did this for publicity to get the, you know, National Enquirer money that probably most people knew about because that's a pretty well-known publication. So yeah. I think that's more likely that they hoaxed it for that reason, but I, if it, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So the year being 1975 in itself, if this was all about money, I mean, it would have, wouldn't it have been a, there was one of them and it was the youngest of the group, um, who was tagged by one of, if I'm not mistaken, was it Philip class, Philip clay class, uh, Philip class. And he was, must start over. I'm talking about the dude that was coming over uh, who tried to pay him off and tell him that for the amount of money he would say that this whole thing was a hoax and right. disproving anything Luke Wal or uh, sorry Travis Walton had to say. And at that time, that's a lot of money. So wouldn't you be inclined to just say, hey, yeah, fuck, you know, fuck you guys, because that guy, in fact, who was being offered money, I'm forgetting his name, but he could have made a grip, and in that time, that would have been perfect for him. A young guy with, you know, I believe it was $10,000 at the time, that's a lot of money, you know, especially now, it's okay, but back that's then, That's like you know, $100,000 in, you know, 2020 money. Right? Unfortunately. but yeah that's i don't talk about philip class very much on this show because of exactly what you mentioned um he's probably the most well-known skeptic but he's so ridiculous like he's not credible he never makes credible arguments and he does stuff like what you're talking about which i completely forgot about by the way thank you for bringing that up that's a i think a very important aspect of this case but yeah, he totally tried to bribe somebody to falsify the case in in his direction, and they didn't go for it. Of course, that yeah, that that in itself already trying to to influence somebody's decision against what they're already trying to say. Either he's trying to fast track his way out of this case, or whatever the hell it may be. That's a negative on the whole thing, and I think that disproves any anything he's trying to bring up against the case in itself. Yeah. I personally, I think that Philip class was uh, a government disinformation agent. Um, maybe not directly employed, but I think they were at the very least they were paying him off to debunk this stuff, but that's actually an entire other case episode that we could do. Um, I don't want to really mm-hmm. get into that here cause it's, it's a whole other can of worms, but yeah, yeah he does seem like a professional, uh, uh, professional liar, if you if you get my drift, like somebody who wants to instill lies. Yeah, one well, the personal attacks and just how nasty he was. It wasn't he was not just saying I don't believe this stuff. He actually wanted to destroy people's lives in the process. It was more mm-hmm. well beyond just I don't believe what these people are saying. The truly the Satan of uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah, or yeah, or didn't. Didn't he try to get somebody institutionalized or something? That's not surprising. I, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he did at some point. I forget. I, I vaguely remember. I, th- I could be confused. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I don't pay much attention to him because he doesn't have any credibility to me. Um, but I do remember reading about that, actually, now that you mention it. We should do a case file on him. The only reason I haven't suggested it yet is because, like, 
it's just going to be so negative. It's going to be like a bummer the whole time. Yeah. It just, it's not going to be a fun uh, yeah. episode. Yeah, that's no. true. No. Yeah. That guy was a real Debbie Downer. They said that in the mm, 70s, right? A negative, I don't know. A negative Nathaniel. Yes. Negative Nathaniel. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Real dickhead. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, um, some of the details of this case, to me, do seem a little strange. Like you were saying earlier, ETA, it's unusual. I can't think of any other case where somebody's allowed to walk, well, a major case, you know, like this, where somebody's allowed to just sort of stroll about a UFO and then, you know, they, they're just walking around and then they send somebody in to grab them and it, it looks like a human. So you have two different races, which is not super unusual, but it's, it's not. Yeah, I've heard um, that before. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily super common either. Um, one quote I saw said that this case is unusual for abduction stories and that it's actually not all that crazy as far as what happens. It's, you know, he wakes no, up, it's not. he does what anybody would do in that situation. He freaks out, he goes into another room, he sees a chair and he sort of sits down and then, uh, they take him and they put him to sleep. It's pretty straightforward, uh, case and it makes a lot of sense um, as far as I see it, like it's, there's no way to prove that it's true, but there's no way to disprove it either. You kind of have to decide on your own if you believe he's credible and his six friends are credible. Um, at the very least, I definitely think something weird happened to these people. And if you take all of their testimony at face value, I think it's very credible that he was abducted somehow. Maybe it was some sort of top secret government uh, thing like from the X-Files or whatever. Or maybe it really was aliens. We have no way of knowing for sure. But that's, I don't know, that's sort of how I feel about the case. What do you what do you guys think? What do you think, Agent Kruger? Do you think it's a credible, credible account or do you think it's all hogwash or what? It's hard, like I said earlier. I mean, there's so much give and take with it, you know? I mean, there, if you hear it from himself, Travis, uh, he doesn't really end it. Even it it was in the the documentary Travis um, I watched not too long ago um, that he ends it with that he would like to think that there was no ill intention if it were because he's it's real to him so when he was struck by the light he feels like he was dead for those five days and the aliens took him to revive him and help him get back on his feet really. And I would like to believe that, too. So, you know, I think this is a credible thing. Uh, I think with given some of the, ex- the some of the tests and some of the samples that have been taken around the area where he's claimed to have been abducted, I think there's just so much to it where it's like you, what what would make trees bow out the way they are? and grow at the exceptional rate that they are growing at if they weren't exposed to radiation. Yeah, that's a strange detail. I wonder if maybe some force kind of bent the branches in that direction, and after they kind of got bent, they started growing in that direction. I mean, I'm not sure what would cause that. Uh, see, that, that, yeah, I would get that too, but I, you know, believe it or not, I have family out in New Hampshire, and I've been out there, and... There's every if there's there's no one congregated area that's feeling it. The whole area is feeling whatever weather it would be. So it I don't know if it's it, the best description that they gave it or example was how in Chernobyl the trees are almost similar similar in the growth pattern right now, and with Chernobyl being uh near <laughs> nearly worldwide extinction event on its own with the radiation just spreading everywhere um which thank god it hasn't i mean yet with the elephant foot still doing what it's doing but uh they i mean built, they built quite the containment uh thing they did yeah they did yeah. You know? they did um it's but i don't think with, it's a permanent fix but the, i'm not sure but i haven't really uh I have. They remove the groundwater that sits under it and everything. Like they, there's like natural groundwater that sits under the actual elephant's foot. So if it were to make any sort of contact with it, it would make another, uh, another explosion. Just like when it threw 
the tons of steel and everything around that was containing its core like when it first happened so that would just suck obviously but i don't think it would be a worldwide extinction event as i was so dramatically putting it but i mean to have that as an example though chernobyl showing the trees around it what happens with radiation being so highly exposed to it that it's hard to to remove that example and that fact from the case is that there's trees that have had heavy radiation or some sort of like blast of energy that it has altered their natural course and the only thing that you could do that is on a molecular molecular ah, sorry the only way you could do that is on a molecular level and i don't think travis walton no offense to him is smart enough to go around changing the the micro atoms and everything and getting down to that really fine detail so uh, unless that fact unless that is is false in itself and that to that i i would not know and i did not know as i said that so um yeah well in my opinion i mean there, there's a i think one very interesting i mean so so he says that you know uh he thinks that when he got hit with that that blue light or that beam or what have you um he was dead for five days right so uh that kind of actually kind of makes a little sense i suppose because he's the one that approached the the ufo you know what i mean that ufo was there but he got out of the vehicle and, and went towards it so what's the may, saying maybe it was curiosity an accident the cat. Sorry. yeah 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 you're right yeah curiosity killed the cat right um so hey that that sounds plausible you know what i mean to me um i do agree fully that something happened whether it was an actual ufo abduction or if it was you know a group hallucination you know some something crazy like that which i think is less likely but who knows you know but i think something happened i i, I would agree with uh, agent anderson it's interesting to uh hear or see the comparisons from the movie to what the actual events were so i i could i don't i i don't do you guys know much more about that or like i were those because there was that moment of when he got out and broke out of the consciousness, right? When he was defending himself. So I think that right there, I want to know everything he saw in that moment. So was I didn't look into this myself, so I'm kind of asking a question as I say this. Is, is anything that that movie portrayed accurate to what he saw on the ship? Because do you guys... I mean, I remember watching the movie when I was younger, but I haven't watched it in so many years. I, I really don't think I could give a uh, a good opinion on it, to be honest. Okay. I think the uh, from what I read, the movie is largely inventive. So you have certain moments in the movie when when he's covered by that latex-looking layer and he's sort of suffocating in there, yeah. And then he breaks free of that. That's probably more symbolic of his mental struggle for consciousness rather than what actually happened to him. Um, from what I understand, the portrayal in the movie is not really that accurate to what he saw in the ship. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really show from what I can remember is that moment where he said, unless I didn't see it, um, it seemed like they portrayed the aliens on the ship or the extraterrestrials on that ship as like little like grays, but they had like almost a tannish skin like color and they were like scampering around like little kids which is creepy as hell on its own. But I don't remember if they ever showed uh, the humanoid person that came forward to help guide him to the next room or wherever it was. And when I hear him talk about that, that just seems like one of them threw on a suit and had a helmet that would alter their face to a human so it would calm him down. But then when he mentioned that they didn't have a helmet on, you know, that kind of makes me go, hey, what the hell is going on there? But I do think from what he expressed in his claims and what the movie got accurate was the light that he explained was the light that was radiating from the ceiling was not like a flashlight or some sort of like direct light. It was just light coming from the top. And that just fascinates me. I'm just like, what the hell else did he see that he can't remember or doesn't want to remember? So, or doesn't even know how to describe, maybe even. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah. 
one thing that that's I thought about the case is a lot of abduction cases they'll remember things later on. Whereas this one, I wonder if he was just completely unconscious the entire time. And that's why he never recalled any more about the days that he was there. And I think you sort of touched on this a little bit, Agent Kruger, but uh, in an interview, Walton actually said that he thought it was an accident that the beam hit him because he was too close, like you said, and that they were actually trying to save his life. It was not a straight up abduction they were trying to save him because they had inadvertently killed him with their with their machine, you know, with their flying saucer. Mm-hmm. So that would be, you know, kind of an interesting angle on the whole thing. I got excited on that, and I kind of i I failed myself by not expanding on that. Is that that blue light? Now, again, kind of rewinding a little bit. And I hope I'm not taking too much of your guys' time when I say this, but no, um, not at all. The blue light that they described. It reminded me of uh, the Demon Core. Have you guys heard of it? You guys, Fat Boy and Little Man, uh, Little Little Man, um, the two bombs that were used in World War II. I'm sure you guys know. I'm not. I don't have to give you a history lesson, obviously, but uh, yeah, the the Demon Core that was used into the bombs that were dropped, um, the blue light that emitted from the Demon Core when or the core when it made contact with the brick uh, that was being dropped by one of the, the, the doctors that were the... I'm sorry, I must start over. Uh, when there was a, the horrific accident with the demon core when the brick fell on top of the core and a blue light shot out and radiating from the core itself, not just one case of this, but two cases, it would be interesting to find out that that core was somehow related to this case where not that demon core but some sort of nuclear energy that was being tested by our government that shot out that that type of energy and if travis's body was found and it was an autopsy was conducted it would raise more questions than if he survived so if this was a government accident through their prototype, I could see that being a thing, but it's just, I, I would like to believe that the aliens, it's like a hit hitting a deer. They didn't mean to. <laughs> There's more innocence in this than there is, you know, bad intentions or to test the pain or whatever it is of a human. But uh, it's, it's interesting. The only controversy I would say that's, the most relevant at this time, and if you could just chalk, easily chalk it up to the government trying to disprove it, is the whole, when he came out 30 years after the book's release, you know, I'm kind of quoting here and paraphrasing from uh, Wikipedia, but when he did the Moment of Truth uh, show all those years ago on Fox, or I think in like 2016, uh, around there, but he uh, he was just asked flat out, you know, or was this a hoax? And he answered, or was this real, basically, you know, in layman's terms, and he said yes. And they said the polygraph came back negative, or saying that he, he lied, you know, or false, that he was lying. But that was conveniently at the end of the entire series of questions that led up to that just basic-ass question. So I think I'm with... I'm with you 100% with, you know, the validity of these polygraph tests. I, I, I don't know. It's, I think they're, if they're, what they're testing, like, an anxious person person's going to fail every time, you know? I mean, I, I don't know if you can tell, but I can, I, I'm a little anxious here and there sometimes when there's nothing to be anxious about, so it's well, just, it's odd. All you got to do is just picture ETA in his underwear and you won't be nervous anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's going to give me uh, nightmares more than... <laughs> oh, that's worse. That's even worse. Never mind. No, but yeah, you're you're totally right, I think, on that show. They can make him... It's so open interpretation. When you're reading those polygraph tests, you could have two different people look at the same chart. One of them says he's lying and the other doesn't. It's open to interpretation. It's not science. It's not based on anything factual. It's In fact, the um, the science says that the only thing a polygraph test is good for is if you, let's say you arrest somebody and you tell them, I'm going to give you a polygraph test. 
that might psych them out enough to where they'll confess. But other right. than that, it's not really worth anything. You cannot use it in a court of law. It is not admissible in court because it's not like a valid scientific test. It, it's, you know, like I said earlier, the guy who invented it said it's all bullshit and we shouldn't use it for anything. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. <laughs> yeah. No one, one other thing that you kind of made me think of is when you're talking about the human shaped guys that came into the room. Um, so I, I wondered if, like you're saying, they put on a disguise, like almost like a hologram or something. And like the, they didn't, they looked human, but they couldn't talk to them at all. And they had like a helmet. Remember you're, you're talking about that. Like wh- what if Big that, eyes. Uh. yeah, what if, yeah, like it was a disguise. Exactly. That's kind of an interesting part of the case that I think might, might sort of explain like, like they, they didn't want to hurt him. They were trying to help him, but here he is panicking around the ship. So they got to kind of corral him. So they say, all right, all right, John, it's your turn. Go put on the suit. Ah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to dress up like a monkey again, you know, but that, that was another one of the interesting details of the case where, cause he wasn't wearing a, a helmet. He didn't need, you know, some sort of oxygen thing to keep him alive. So why would they have to wear a helmet in their own spaceship? Unless like they had gotten some transmissions from us and they had seen in our science fiction movies that that's what we thought, you know, space people looked like. So that's how they designed their costumes, maybe something out of like one of our movies. And that's why it looked a little goofy with like their eyes being too big. And I think one of the details was they had like their eyes were like gold colored or something. Maybe that's just thought they thought that's the form that would be the most calming to them at the time. But who knows? A detail that he included in that, though, that I think it's a little bit more he didn't really expand on or if he has, I haven't seen it yet. But when he woke up, when he was being led by that humanoid creature, or if I, if he was in the midst of his panicking running through the ship for the brief moment that he did before he got to the control room, or whatever room it was with the, the stars and everything that he could see, uh, he was able to see uh, like a hangar-type bay where he saw two ships grounded, but in all chrome. And I thought that was an interesting point because he might have been just taken up straight to the mothership. I mean, it sounded like he was on something a lot bigger than what he could have been picked up on. Right. And yeah, yeah. That that right there in itself is just such a mind blowing concept. But maybe they have the ability to create that oxygen within that ship. I mean, the light that was radiating from the ceiling that he described, what if that was an artificial sun in some sort? Like, what if we're speaking of something that is just so far ahead of our comprehension that it's just, I don't blame him for his brain just having the ultimate chart and just yeah. forgetting everything. So yeah. Well, how, Mm -hmm. I mean, how are you going to react if you're faced with something like that? You know, you're not going to be able to fully absorb what's happening. And like you said, you're not going to comprehend any of it. You're just going to probably freak out. You know, if I was agent ETA, I would panic and defend myself. I would have grabbed that object as agent ETA would and defend myself. Cause I know, I know for a fact that I mean, I I would just panic. I would I would panic, but I would swipe. It's claw. It's claw time. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a reason we have the fight and flight instinct. And if I can't fly because I'm trapped, I'm gonna fight my ass off. And yeah, that's that's yeah. Some something's, something's gonna do. happen if the if I have the ability ability for it. I guess yeah. Yeah. But what you're talking about actually kind of reminded me of the uh, the stories I've heard from a lot of different. Uh, UFO research, uh, researchers and people that claim to have had like, you know, direct contact and also, you know, have been part of like black ops operations and stuff, you know, I, I don't know if you've uh, ever gone down that rabbit hole, but I don't know how much I believe the majority of these people, but if what they say is to be believed, it's a uh, pretty sensational. Uh, you ever heard the stories about the builder race and all the different, uh, billions of years old, um, ruins basically around, around the solar system and around uh, the universe really? It, that sounds vaguely familiar. I just it's not ringing a solid bell at the moment, but I'm sure if you'll show me a couple things, it'll hit. Uh, it's a, at the very least, I, I find it a very enjoyable story to be told. You know, 
But uh, I don't know. It, just, it reminded me of like, because, you know, supposedly there have been astronauts that have, you know, gone to like the moon or gone to, you know, um, you know, on other uh, observation missions and have seen like uh, like monoliths and like uh, ancient ruins and stuff. Like, just imagine if you were in that situation, if you were that astronaut, right? I mean, it's the thing, it's the thing of like, you know, the, uh, in my opinion, so, some of the best sci-fi movies I, I've, I've ever seen, the ones, or even sci-fi books, you know? Um just imagine being being in that situation, you know. You're in a space a spacesuit out on the moon, you know, and freaking you you see an ancient structure that I mean, obviously the the a million thoughts will be going through your head as soon as you you know realize what you're looking at, right? I don't know, it's like uh, I, whatever. I started to go off on that wild tangent, but like uh, I don't know that that's uh, something that I, I I wonder about. Like even some like you know the, the megalithic structures around the world today. You know what I mean? Like all the different pyramids on every continent, really, you know, and I guess you can call it, I, they're not necessarily always like shaped like the pyramids of Giza, but I would call a lot of the uh, structures around the world pyramid in form, at least, you know, they do have similarities to ours. I, now that you say that again, now it's, it's hit me. There's like one on Mars, correct? If I'm not mistaken. And there's just well, one. There, Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. There, there's supposedly is a, 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 a group of uh, pyramid-like structures that may form the ruins of a, an old city, you know. Um, but I, the, the pictures, those pictures are, are and I forget the names uh, of the pictures. I'm sure probably it's very easy to look up, obviously. But um, they're they're it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of tough, in my opinion. Like it's it's I, I could see what they're talking about, I get you know. You. But, but without like with without having further evidence, something a little little bit more clear. To be direct, you know, um, I just can't really, I, I, my imagination can still go wild with it. Don't get me wrong. It's like I said, so it's one of my favorite things to uh, sit and ponder about, I suppose, when it comes to this type of stuff. But we'll um, have to make a, we'll have to have a case on that. Then it sounds like we'll have to use that for some. some oh, uh, I would love, I would love it. Well, I, I would love discussion. to discussion. I would love, love just to talk about uh, some of the structures that we already know about here on earth. You know, I mean, there's. Holy crap! There's some amazing, amazing things, you know, um, that that don't get talked about enough. Well, I, obviously, everybody knows about you know the pyramids and everything, but some of the some of the uh, the more you know unsung heroes, I would call them, you know, some of those structures that uh, don't get enough notoriety, especially in the Western world. Um, I, I would love to talk about them. Like like uh, I always I always pronounce it wrong. I think Gunung Padang. Am I pronouncing Watch that right? Your language. <laughs> how dare you sir <laughs> uh, i'll have you know that she is a saint and she is a godson <laughs> oh. <laughs> but no there's there's a lot and we've, we've talked about gobekli tepe also we had an episode on that and, and um that's holy crap that that area is is amazing but but um we've already we've already covered it but but uh yeah but yeah i, I digress yeah, another topic that um, Agent Kruger mentioned earlier, but he didn't really say what it was, was the Demon Core. I don't know if you're aware of what yeah. that is, ETA, but that story is fucking insane. Talk about shenanigans and tomfoolery. God damn, mm-hmm. dude, that's a crazy <laughs> story. Talk about Butterfinger. Oh, no, just a finger. Well, just like the safety protocols they were using were basically like, yeah, it'll be fine. You know, like that's just what. Hey, the, fuck mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know, hey, yeah. it's great. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy story. But yeah. Yeah. That, well, at, at times there, there, I mean, there, there's many times where people were directly uh, exposed to it. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll do that another time maybe, but it's, it's pretty crazy. What they what they the, were the most. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the most anyone who's ever been officially recorded as to being exposed to such levels of radiation. I mean, Chernobyl is probably like a strong second compared to the the poor soul that you know gave his life just because he saved everyone in the room. Really. Yeah, yeah, it fell and he caught it, right? Uh, he smacked it off. I mean, when it was on it, he smacked it off with his bare hands. So, like, there's two situations where uh, it's like a sphere situation. This was the second attempt, and he was f- using a, a flathead screwdriver to to uh, to control the level of uh, close contact. I'm, I'm forgetting. I'm failing myself here. But uh, anyway, the screwdriver fell, or the flathead fell, 
and it went full contact and it woke the sleeping giant up and he he smacked it right off it's he had to take it off with his bare hand and just like uh agent anderson had <laughs> pointed out that man that the shit, the protocols the safety protocols for that back in the day it's just lack thereof crazy it's just what they were messing with or the god makers really this it's crazy that is yeah. a fascinating story mm. yeah we should definitely do that sometime I agree. Done deal. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, you can really help us out by giving us a like and a good review and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you.